0: You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, good morning, friends. Uh, Man, if this is your first time with us, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. Uh, Again, if this is your first time, I encourage you to jump back into the video description, share a little bit more information with us. We'd love to connect with you. Refuge is a church plant in Southeast Austin, serving South Austin in general. And uh, yeah, we'd love to connect with you and share more about what we're doing, learn more about how we could pray for you, all that good stuff. Uh, well, hey, I want to get uh, jump into the world, but I want to get ahead of the ball here a little bit and uh, almost like apologize in advance <laughs> if necessary. Uh, my, I might be a little bit off today, uh, but that's that's not because I'm upset or the text or anything like that. It's actually just because I'm in a little bit of a, a bout with the gout and having some some arthritis issues. Uh, on the lower extremities here. That's why I'm sitting down right now. And so uh, if I seem a little off, it's not for any other reason other than the fact that I might like grimace or something here and there because of like some ankle pain or something like that. But a uh, week, uh, you know, a few more days, it'll be gone. It's happened before. Uh, but but I'm able to talk to you today. And so I wanted to make sure I took the time to do that right now. Um, I'm excited to get into the word today because I think it's a timely word. I, I say that every week, but I'm extra, I extra believe it with this. Um, because if you haven't noticed in the middle of a pandemic, we're also kind of in the middle of a cultural revolution when it comes to, uh, police brutality and, uh, black and the black community. And so, uh... It, with that has come a lot of awareness for what's happening right now and, and with it for a lot of Christians I've seen uh, in a really positive way having responses like what can I do to get involved and "And how do I where do I start how do I respond to this and those are great questions those are great questions for a couple of reasons again one because it, it sees that man people are responding to to what is evident evidently wrong but then the other reason is man like It shows that we're aware that that there's something like like happening, that God's doing something and we want to be involved in it. Now, the reality to that, though, is that God rarely does something in society to try to impact the church. Right. Meaning like rarely does God create an awareness of his character and his uh, kingdom and the, the externally apart from the church to influence the church. Usually it's the other way around. Right. And so it's critical that we be asking those questions because it really we can't let the moment deceive us in thinking that we are just joining the, 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 the cultural or, or, or social societal fight of against injustice. Rather, to reclaim the role as the church uh, that, that partners with a living God who is at work redeeming and restoring creation. Right, The church is the gospel made visible on earth, and really that means that the gospel that's redeeming and renewing is a thing that's supposed to be visible for us as a community. And I would go so far to say that injustice is a core fundamental part of what that means. Um, and I'm excited because today, we're Our text, we're continuing our, our sermon series in Acts. We're going to be jumping into Acts chapter 6. It gives us this really neat front row into how the apostles in the early church dealt with actually injustice. And what we're going to see is that, man, it, it's really the, the closeness to our, uh, our reactions uh, at times to injustice really are a revealing mark to our own fellowship with God right? Like, like on, on a, speaking on a personal level, when, when we are uh, apathetic toward justice, it doesn't make a big deal to us. It it's not a big deal to us. It's not a burden to us. Uh, it most of the time reveals that our heart and fellowship with God's heart is not accurate at minimum and, and maybe struggling uh, at, at maximum. Now, on the other side, the inverse is also true. When we are looking at injustice and we're burdened by it, it oftentimes shows, man, that that, our, our relationship with God's heart, our fellowship with his heart is 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 healthy. And so today I'm excited to jump into the text and, and let it offer us some very valuable guidance to how to respond to moments of injustice like this. And what we're going to see is man, when when the people when people see the character of Christ in the church, then uh, they're drawn to Jesus. And so if we want to see more people come to faith, here in, in, um, in South Austin, if we want to see uh, the people come to faith in our families, our friends, uh, one of the big things we have to know is that responding well to moments of injustice is, is a critical part of that. Um, this, the title of today's sermon is Know and Grow, because what we're going to learn uh, was we're going to allow this text to show us like a little bit of our heart and how we're responding to injustice right now. Uh, and then from there, we're going to see exactly how God desires to use that response to advance his kingdom and to really do a work in the world, in our own lives, and the lives of those around us. And so let's go ahead and dive in. As I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts 6. We're only working through the first seven verses, but there's a lot there. And so we really need to jump in to, to for the sake of time and all that good stuff. Um, but to give you a little bit of background, man, it's only been a few weeks and the church uh, has gone from 120 uh, in chapter 1, to, oh, the estimation is about close to 20,000 right now. It's a huge jump. But the thing is, the, the the size of the church community has changed. It's gotten bigger, but the convictions that the church is living by have not changed. They are still living as a family like they were when it was 120. And this created some really beautiful moments, people selling their their stuff to provide for everybody. Really, really cool stuff. <coughs> but it's in the middle of all this beauty that something really ugly does come up. Um, and the reality that this is pointing is this is kind of a side note is that, uh, men acts, the, the church in the book of acts is a model church, meaning we can look to it for advice and for suggestions, but it's by no means a perfect church. It had its experiences with very real humans. who had very real human feelings and sinfulness and all that good stuff, uh, or bad stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but the experience of that church is, is largely the same experience we have today in our church. We, 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 we are it's a church made up of human beings. Um, yet the Church of Acts is a model church because it shows us uh, a lot of really great ways to respond to the sinfulness that's present uh, in our congregation, in our own hearts, in the the society, in the community. Uh, And here, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it does that same thing, but it does it in the area of injustice. We're going to see injustice happen in the text and yes, this is directed inward, like it's the church, It's happening inside of the church, but but it's going to show us a part of what happens when we address injustice and the impact that has on the mission of God, right? And so, likewise, I think that it's true that, man, what it's going to show us is how the Christian's reaction, the church as a whole's reaction to injustice, is a tool to advance God's kingdom. It, it, it's something that that we get to plug into as we understand what God is doing, and so, This text, I'm praying, is going to show us a lot, but the thing is to really grasp it all, we're going to have to dig in really good. And as we dig in really good, there's three takeaway points that that I want to kind of set as guide rails so that we don't go too far off the handle. Um, And those three takeaways are about the church, and they're this, that they understand the sin that's present, right? They confront the sin that's present, and then they grow from the sin that's present. Okay, so let's go ahead and dive in and start with understanding the sin that's present. Um, it starts out in verse one. It says, "In those days, the disciples were increasing in number. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews um, that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution." As we start chapter six, I mean, it comes off of chapter five, and, and you guys know last week there was a lot of really cool stuff happening in chapter five. People coming to faith, getting healed. Uh, but all that momentum, though, and, and all that growth, really encouraging stuff, we now see that a complaint arises even in the midst of all that. And so if you've ever felt what it feels like to make some some really solid spiritual advancements and then kind of feel like you took a step back, that's okay. Everyone feels like that. Um, and and really that that complaint is stemming from the first traces of diversity in the church now i would not say that the the, the church of acts is diverse at this point at least not ethnically but uh, the diversity is present in two groups the hebraic and hellenistic jews and really the only thing that separated these two groups was that one was born in palestine the the palestine the, the area around jerusalem and they spoke the traditional hebrew languages while the others were were not born in palestine they were born somewhere else in the roman empire Uh, And they probably primarily, if not only, spoke Greek. Other than that, ethnically, everything else, they were the same, right? Most of their traditions were the same. It really isn't like this great big divide. Yet, we see like such real humanity that even that small thing can create a divide. And the divide is is forming in the community and it's expressing itself uh, through the widows not receiving equal treatment. And widows in those days were the most vulnerable population, because in this society, once you're a widow, you really struggle to even provide for yourself. And so the church, living as a family, obviously decides that they're going to take care of the widows in the community, but the widows for the Hebraic Jews are are actually receiving more uh, during the the food distribution than the Hellenistic uh, widows. And so after all that growth, all that momentum, like I mentioned, there's a real sin issue in the midst of God's people, uh, and, and no, it's not quite racism, but uh, it, it, it has the same root as racism. Okay, and that may seem like a stretch, but 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 let me give me a second to show you because the root of both of these is actually the same root. It, it's called the sin of partiality, and the sin of partiality has another name. It's it's called favoritism. If that makes more sense, and now I know that that it seems like favoritism wouldn't be a huge sin, but you'd be shocked at how oppose the favoritism god is and can you think about romans two eleven that says there's no favoritism with god you think about job 34 19 that says god is not partial or shows favoritism to princes and does not favor the rich over the poor for they are all the work of his hands james 2 8 through 9 says indeed if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture love your neighbor as yourself you are doing well if, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor or as transgressors. Whoa, that's intense, right? It's intense to think that favoritism is so strongly opposed by God. But in order to understand why favoritism is, so, is seen so severely by God, we have to look at it from God's perspective. Okay? For God, favoritism is not about someone's appearance, accent, where they talk, where they're from, anything like that. Favoritism is about how someone is made, how people are made. Okay, each and every human being is made in the image of God, meaning that God has given us a unique morality and sensibility uh, that is distinct from every other part of His creation. Uh, and, And with that created, and with that being created in His image, having that morality, having that sensibility. Uh, man, we uh, are actually given dignity and honor just as a consequence of that. That's all. That's it. Nothing above and beyond that earns us more dignity as a human being, more honor as a human being. We are worthy of dignity, respect, and honor simply based on the fact that we've been made in God's image. And and yes, some things have, have changed. Sin kind of messes that up. But the thing that stays in the midst of that is that we still have that dignity and that honor. But favoritism is actually the act of, of looking at the dignity and honor uh, that, that the image being made in the image of God gives us and saying, you know what, I don't agree with that. In fact, I'd prefer to use these things as gauges of whether you deserve dignity and honor, uh, and I'll use that instead of what God has said, right? In reality, the sin of favoritism is so grievous because it's an effort to remove God from the throne and place ourselves there. And so it doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but in reality, it's a deep, deep, deep sin issue. And so here... Here, when the apostles hear this, they recognize that this isn't something small. It's not like, yeah, well, you know, they kind of just they prefer those people over those people. It's not like I prefer strawberry over vanilla. Rather, it's it's a deep idolatry uh, that they have to deal with, and so so they start to realize, man, this is not going to be treated lightly. This is going to be treated seriously. Maybe they're not the ones that are specifically going to do it, but they are going to treat it very seriously. and I want to break right here because because I, I want us to realize that man, this is a, this is a, a, a idea that's true in all of our lives, right? Uh, man, no matter what we what we do, whether it's being angry, whether it's being uh, I think volatile, if it's being impatient, on the surface it it kind of seems small, but but underneath there are oftentimes deeper root sin issues that that we are called to really understand. These guys understood this sin. The apostles understood this sin. And as a result, they were able to bring to light something that was more serious than what we might think. Likewise, we're called when we sin, and it seems simple to do the work of, of getting to the root of sin that's in there that is causing a lot more issues. And when we do that, we oftentimes experience far more freedom than simply repenting for being angry sometimes would give us. But I also want to make another point here before we move on, and that's before they could evaluate this sin, before they could get to the bottom of it, the root of it, something else had to happen. And, that's how they, that, and that thing is that they had to listen to uh, the, the story of the Hellenistic Jews. They had to hear out the Hellenistic Jews in order for the apostles to understand how serious this sin was. They had to hear the story of the people that were experiencing the injustice. Okay, and this is the idea here. Without hearing the story, there's no way to understand the sin. Without hearing the story, there's no way to understand the sin. And think about it. That's true of what we just shared. When I said that favoritism is such a serious sin, it could have been easy for us to be like, but then when we explain the story behind why it's so sinful, man, it becomes so much more real. Uh, Likewise, when we're not hearing stories of injustice, The grievousness that is present in those moments of injustice, we don't understand. And if you are a married person, you definitely should be comfortable with this, uh, because hopefully you and your spouse, and if you're not married, then you and your parents, friends, siblings, whatever, um, are familiar with this idea. It's the ability to say, hey, what you did there hurt my feelings, and here's why. Uh, And maybe this made me think about the fact that I've had dealing with this this arthritis pain for the past few days, and and as a result, I've been a little snippy. If I'm being honest, the past three or four days, been a little extra snippy. Uh, and, and my wife has experienced that. And it's one thing for for me to get snippy, to kind of be a, a little bit uh, snappy, be a little bit of a jerk, and then to be like, oh, that's not cool, my bad. It's a whole other thing when when I'm snippy and I see the story of my sin on my wife's face as I see her get upset or dejected or discouraged the amount, the weight that I feel when I see and experience and think about my own sin is, is, is made real. The reality of it, not what I kind of give myself an extra grace, but the reality of it is oftentimes felt when I understand the story of the people that my sin affects. Likewise, uh, man, when it comes to uh, this idea of, of experiencing or knowing what sin does, understanding sin, Man, we have to oftentimes hear the stories uh, of the people that this type of sin, especially injustice, is affecting. When we hear those stories, the realness of it becomes so much more vivid. And it's something that we can actually start to understand. And so the apostles here, they, they have listened to uh, the, the, the Hellenistic widows. They hear what's going on. They understand the sin, they understand the severity of it, and they are rightly going to respond to it. They are now in a place, having understood the sin, where they can confront the sin, okay? We're going to be taking a look here at verses 2 through 6. Um verse 2 says the 12 summoned the whole company of the disciples and said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables brothers and sisters select from among you seven men of good reputation full of the spirit and wisdom whom we can appoint to this duty but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word this proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. Well, Those are some tough ones, y'all. Uh, they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Okay, so check this out. Having understood the sin, they recognized that, hey, uh, man, may, maybe we need to figure something out because we don't really have the capacity to, to take on these uh, issues, right? That, that's what it means right there in verse, what is it, three, when they're like, hey, or two, when they're like, hey, we can't really like do this and give up preaching the word, but, but we are gonna confront this. We are gonna deal with it. And how they deal with it is important because they deal with it in two ways. Man, they deal with it in a discipleship way. We're gonna see how in a second. But man, the one I wanna highlight right now is they also deal with it in a systemic way. Right? Think about it. The issue at hand was the reality that within the distribution, the system of the distribution uh, of, of food and 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 provisions, something was happening and it was resulting in one of the groups not getting their fair share. And so how do the do the apostles react? Well, they instill people, they create systems that are gonna that are going to redeem the old systems that are causing injustice. Right? They put into place people who are going to uh, redo the system, who are going to be over it, and who are going to make sure that it's fair and right. And what's funny is that all of these men are actually all Hellenistic Jews. Okay, So all the people that we see who take over this role, this role is is maybe like deacons, something to that extent, who step in to do the ministry and to take over making sure it's right, they are actually uh, um, Hellenistic Jews. So the apostles hear the voice of the people uh, that are suffering, and then they exalt the people that are suffering, members of that community, so that they can handle the issue. Right, it, it's a very redeeming, restorative work that's going on here. Even though it's sometimes a little easy to overlook it, there's a very redemptive, restorative narrative that's happening here. And again, it's not just something that, that's small. They're, they're tackling it holistically. They didn't just come and say, "Okay, we're going to do the discipleship part and ask people why they're doing it." They took it a step further and, and, and said, "Oh man, we're going to handle this systemically. Right? We're going to make sure the system is 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 fixed." And the reason for that is because they were responding in light of the gospel. They were doing gospel ministry, as we said, and, and to, in order to, to have a response that measures up to the gospel, it needs to be a full response, okay? Because the, the, the gospel does not forgive some sins and not others. It doesn't, Jesus isn't making some things new, but leaving some things old. He's making all things new, okay? And he forgives all of our sin, not part of our sin, a Gospel response to injustice does not say, Okay, well, well let's just worry about one thing, let's just worry about the sin part, but we'll leave the rest of it for another day. A Gospel response to injustice takes in the entirety of the situation and responds by trying to find redemption, restoration uh healing in the fullness of the situation and so man, I don't want to overstep my boundaries with with the text here, but but I think that this is a great reference point to think about the reality of voting like Legitimately think about it. They had an issue that wasn't right, so the people found people that they all agreed on and put them in position to take care of the the system to make things right. Like that is not exactly voting, but man, it's pretty darn close. Okay. And, and the thing is, this is a great way to think about what gospel ministry looks like, what incorporating our faith looks like into voting. Okay, and and I don't want to freak you out here because what I'm not saying is you should vote for this party or that party. In fact, I think that if you are following a, a gospel ministry narrative in how you vote, you will not be able to find one political party that aligns with all of your gospel values. If you were absolutely determined to find people that are going to, to fight for justice in the black community, uh, in immigrant communities, in, in, in for women, for the unborn, then all of a sudden, the different, the different levels of government are going to have different applications for you. right? Maybe a local authority or a local judge is a part of a different political system than you would vote for a senator. right? But the reality is, because we're investigating and, and applying okay, our faith into the vote, We're saying we need to find people that are going to correct these issues systemically because we're about the restoration of our communities and about the redemption, the restoration of people. This gives us a great platform to speak those truths on. Um, Again, but, but again, it's not all going to look the same because society, that's not going to look like the same political party because society is not meant to tell us or show us the character of God. The political system in America is not meant to show us the character of God. What displays the character of God and the character of his kingdom is that confusing voter ballot that has different political parties put in each one because we value every single one of these people and want to find people that are going to fight for every one of these people on different levels because our affection and our devotion are to the kingdom, not to any kind of political party, not even necessarily to our country. Happy for Fourth of July, right? Um, but man, this is a, a, I think, a really important reality to come to, that a gospel response is a holistic response. There's a systemic response there, but, but don't be confused. There is also a discipleship response, okay? Think about, think about this, They say, hey, here's here's what we can do to create better systems. Here's what we can do to confront this on a more systemic level. But in verse 4, they say, but we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. word." You see, the apostles knew that systemic change wasn't enough. Okay, because you can defeat a system and a new system come into place that's going to be just as wrong. Right? Think about the history of black people in America. If you ever get a chance to look this up in detail, not even in detail, there's, I mean, basic Instagram stories that can tell you this. But every single time one set of laws was overcome, it seemed like just another one would snap into place. But the disciples know that, man, we can, we're going to put our best foot forward. We're going we're to go uh, at the systemic issue, but we're likewise going to focus on the discipleship issue. And the way we're going to focus on the discipleship issue is through focusing on the ministry of the word. Because there's nothing that really pierces into the heart, that changes, that shapes the heart quite like the word, is there? Think about Hebrews 4.12 that says this, For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What better way to know if something I'm doing is marked by favoritism or partiality than, with the, than by with a word that is able to tell me what the intentions of my actions are, no matter what the outward action looks like, right? That's because the word, right? The gospel being communicated through the word of God it is not meant to cause uh, behavior modification. Rather, it's meant to make us new. It's meant to, to take a heart of stone and give a heart of flesh, It's meant to make us tender to the heart of God, to begin to to, to shape our desires to His desires, to shape our burdens to His burdens, to shape our celebrations to His celebrations. It's why when the gospel ministry is taking place here, right? And again, we kind of talked about that last week. I think this is a great continuation of that conversation. When they're they're going after both the systemic issue and they're tackling the discipleship issue, they know it's the word of God that's necessary to come in and pierce the heart to draw us to Jesus and let Jesus, through His Spirit, spirit and make us new to make us new because that's what's necessary he's redeeming all things he's bringing restoration and absolutely that means systems and and redeeming the world he's bringing all things to himself but at the same time it likewise and probably more fundamentally means that that we are called to bring our heart to bring our our if i'm being honest man sometimes our apathy like if you're apathetic toward these situations that What I'm not telling you is that God doesn't have grace for that. What I am telling you is that the Lord desires for us to bring those things to him because in them, when we bring them to him and he redeems, he forgives, he restores, he makes us new, he quickens our heart to be passionate about these subjects. We begin to take on a, a, a sense and an understanding of God's love and affection, not just for us, but for the broken that we may not have ever understood before. Right, And that's critical, man, because if, if you don't understand God's deep affection for everyone, if, if you are deceived into thinking that, that the, the beauty of the gospel and its healing work is, is kind of practically limited to you and your circumstances, then you run a couple of really big risks. And One of the major ones I think about is the reality that if you were to lose house, car, influence, job, wife, husband, kids, Man, if you were to lose those things, if you've never heard the stories of pain, if you've never heard the stories of injustice, if you've never heard the stories of sorrow that the gospel is still somehow working a work of redemption in, then you may may lose sight of the hope that God still has for you in our loss. Right, But rather, man, if you recognize, man, I may be struggling with some of these things. I may not necessarily be feeling this holistic response. I may not be burdened with the things that God is burdened with. I may not see injustice passionately. Uh, I may feel a little bit apathetic. Man, brother, sister, friend, I am not telling you you shouldn't bring them to God. Rather, I'm absolutely telling you that you should. That you should bring them to him. There is grace for you. And that grace is meant to meet us where we are but it doesn't leave us where we are, okay? It's meant to take us and make us new, and so bring that to him uh, as we seek God and ask him to help us confront sin, confront injustice, confront immorality, confront evil in our own hearts, in the hearts of of the community that we have as a church, in society, to show the goodness of God uh, to all people, right, to confront the sin in a way that would be worthy of the gospel, again, displaying God's goodness. And and I want to make that point displaying God's goodness, because that's actually what takes us to our last point. When they're able to hear the stories, understand the sin, and then confront the sin, uh, man, they're able to grow from the sin, okay? And, And that has a lot to do with understanding God's goodness. Check out verse seven here. It says, so the word of God spread the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Check this out, man. Do you think it's a coincidence that they hammer away, that they, they confront and, and restore and redeem the sinfulness and the rebellion, the injustice that's happening within the context of their community? And then right after that, the author of Acts says, and after that, the word of God spread like crazy. People started coming to faith like crazy. Like crazy. Even priests started coming to faith. Priests were probably of more social influence than the apostles. And so if you could almost picture that, it'd be like, man, it was so awesome that like local government officials started coming to faith, right? And, and, and literally, that means that some of the landscape of, of local government might have looked a little different because people were coming to faith. But, but here's the thing. It's not a coincidence, because when you do gospel ministry, especially gospel ministry that brings healing, restoration, redemption, it shows people God's goodness. It shows people God's goodness. And Romans 2.4 says that it's actually the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Repentance. So no wonder people are coming to faith left and right. No wonder local priests are coming to faith left and right. Then no wonder discipleship is increasing and more people are coming to love and follow Jesus. They're seeing his goodness in the middle of this, uh, through the lens of seeing the apostles confront injustice and say, this isn't right. Come on, man. Man, and, and I want to take a break here and, and, and kind of take a I need a little bit of a breather. I feel like I got hot for a minute there, so I, I need to take a little breather myself. Um, but, it, you know, what I want to stop and say real quick is that what we've been talking about, right, like understanding sin, confronting sin, growing from sin, uh, specifically in the context of what it looks like to confront the sin of injustice, Uh, It can feel oftentimes, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, if I don't make a point to say it, if you don't make a point to hear it, and believe me, that this can feel like an indictment on you, whoever you are, right? Uh, I want to say that's not the point of this. That's not the point of what we're talking about right now. Uh, Man, for many of us, I see you doing this. I see you fighting injustice. Not, I mean, there's a beauty to it, because I don't see you just just fighting injustice when it comes to uh, the black community, but I mean... Immigrants, uh, the unborn, uh, man, man, this this totality of injustice that we see, uh, th- that we know, rages war against the the intention of God in creation and what He's doing to restore and redeem the world. So we're pushing back, we're fighting against that, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um. In addition, like like I, I look at you and, and I want to encourage you again, similarly to what I did last week that for a lot of us, we're already doing a part of this, right? The fact that you're planting this church is a huge deal. We're, we're planting it in a community of color, right? Like Our, 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 our community specifically is a large part Hispanic, which in, in this city uh, has a really, really, really checkered and tough past in terms of um, their experiences with the police, a lot of immigrants, and one of the larger black communities in the city. So planting a church here is the aim of saying, how can we, how can we make a change? How can we, how can we glorify God uh, through what we're doing here? Yet I want you to know, uh, man, that we're not done. Uh, we're, 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 you've probably taken great steps forward. A lot of you, I've heard the conversations you're having. Uh, I've heard a lot of the things that have been on your heart. Those are beautiful things. But man, now that, that some of the momentum behind hashtags and, and, and movements against injustice is dying down, uh, you know, we, we can sit here and go, okay, man, we're planting church, we're doing the, the right things. But that's not where we want to stop, man. Uh, it, in fact, think about it like this. This isn't the last time this exact thing is going to happen with the church. This exact, this isn't a one and done type stop for them. Rather, man, this is actually going to happen again in just a few chapters where Peter's going to have to defend the inclusion of Gentiles, non-Jews, into the community. And then in Galatians 5, a few years later, Paul is going to have to call out Peter for doing the same thing he was against in Acts. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff happening where, where we see that, man, like, this isn't a one and done thing. It's, it's a repeating process. We continuously have to understand sin. We continuously have to confront sin. We continuously have to grow from sin, especially the sin of injustice as we look out into the brokenness of the world. Um, man, but I want you to know it's okay to keep doing those things. It's not a failure if you've done them once and then you have to do it again. Do it again. It's a failure when we stop doing it, it's a failure when we give up on it. That's when it's a failure. If you feel like you, you, you're spinning your wheels sometimes and, and, or alternatively you feel like, man, it, it just it, it can get overwhelming because if there's not one thing that's wrong, there's another thing that's wrong. Then it, it's not a failure that you have to keep doing it. Uh, we are the people of light pushing back darkness in a broken world, waiting and anticipating for our king to come and make everything right. That is not a failure. It's a good thing. OK, um, rather. Uh, to, to quit doing it is 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 the failure. And so before we wrap up, in conclusion, what I want to do is invite you into a few very real ways that, that we can um, do the things we talked about today. Uh, as often it's easy to hear these things theoretically and be like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, but then kind of not do them practically. And rather we want to be a community that's able to know the the truth theologically, and then to put it into practical application so that we can make an impact in our community, not just learn things and not just teach other people things, but rather see a a very real actual impact in our community. And so these few application points, they don't cover every way we need to to respond, but rather uh, they just create a starting point for us as a community to get things started, okay? Uh, And the first application point is listen to stories. As we mentioned in the beginning of the text, one of the biggest things we can do to understand the depth of injustice, especially injustice that we're seeing uh, in the world right now against black communities, uh, against communities of color, but specifically black communities, I want to be really, really intentional about saying that, is to hear the stories of the impact that, that these realities are having, okay? Okay. Um, Now, I understand that maybe not all of us have uh, close relationships with uh, someone from the black community, a black brother, a black sister. I get that. I'm not sure if I would encourage you to reach out to, a, like, a, a not-so-close person and be like, hey, man, can you tell me some stories? I don't know if that's wise or not. That depends on the friendship. Uh, but, but rather, thanks to our sending church, The Well, who has an amazing resource page, we kind of jacked that. We adopted it. I'm going to say we adopted it, all right? Uh, and we're able to provide a page with dozens of different resources uh, that will really empower you uh, to hear stories uh, from people of color. Uh, and, and the majority of it are, are stories from uh, the black community in reference to a lot of the injustices uh, that that community has experienced in America, though there are different uh, communities of color represented throughout. I want to encourage you, man, to explore that page and to commit to exploring a resource from each section. If you have kids, there's a kids section, right? If you like podcasts, there's a podcast section. Sermons, sermons, books, books. Like there's all kinds of stuff there. I I want to encourage you to commit to exploring one resource from each one of those sections. Now, let me say this. They're not all Christian, okay? They may not even necessarily be something you agree with. They may not even necessarily be something that we fully support or agree with. Yet it's critical to expose ourselves to stories of oppressed communities, whether we agree with them or not. Okay, And so that's the first one. Listen to stories. You can go to refugeaustin.com uh, forward slash reconciliation if you want to take a look at that resource page. The other thing, the second one, is to grow our education. Um, man, understanding stories is, is one thing. We, we definitely have Uh, the ability to hear those stories and create a weight for sin. But when we understand the history, right, when we understand that the realities, when we educate ourselves about these things, when we educate ourselves about the theological truths that make these things wrong, when we do that, it's another way to start solidifying a a burden that is similar to God's burden for these issues. And so I want to kind of introduce something to you and, and hope you get excited about it. Late next month, uh, we're planning on releasing a seven-part discipleship packet revolving around justice. Okay, it, seven weeks would probably be good, but if you could do it in seven days or even two days if you wanted to. Uh, but each uh, week will include or each part will include a 10 to 15-minute video lesson about the subject for that week in combination with some written literature that you can use to work through on your own or with someone else. Um, likewise, I want to encourage you to commit. Commit to saying when that comes out in August... I'm fixing to do that. Like, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to challenge myself, maybe in some ways that I don't even know I need challenging, but that the resource is going to challenge me. And I want to commit myself to that. And I think it's going to be a blessing. And I think I, what I'm praying is that this resource can set the pace for how we want to do gospel ministry in our community, specifically in the area of justice. And the third and last thing I want to put before you is to start locally. Okay, okay. Um, I've said multiple times that that we have opportunities to start the work of caring for uh, communities of of really of color today. We're planting in an area that I already mentioned the statistics and the demographics. Uh, That puts us in a unique position to serve communities uh, that are in need right now, okay? Uh, Man, similar to the point about elections, we're called to notice the brokenness of the world and desire to bring justice to it, yet we're given specific space to work that out, and that's locally, okay? Um, I heard it said once like this, and I thought it was beautiful. You have to think nationally while acting locally. Uh, and so maybe you don't have the ability or the capacity to work out every single little thing that we've talked about, not little thing, but every single instance of injustice. Maybe you don't have the capacity to, to really fight every single one. I believe you should be burdened by every single one. I believe that, man. I believe that. Maybe you don't have the ability or capacity to, to, to take part in the fight for each and every one. That's Okay. Again, the loss is not that you're not able to do each one. The loss comes when when we refuse to do any of them, right? Um, And and so there are ample opportunities in a city the size of Austin to get involved. In addition, when these things come up and and they are really in our face, in a city the size of Austin, that will happen, and, and we should take the extra effort to get involved during those times. Um, yet thinking locally involves thinking about how we can serve the community here. And so obviously we're serving Rodriguez and families that Rodriguez are now. I want to invite you to get involved with that. Uh, if you want more information about that, I want to encourage you to email Sean at Sean at refuge Austin.com. He'll be able to get you set up, get you more information, put you on the schedule. It's a really good thing, man. We're really excited about that. Uh, all right. All right. We're done. So I'm praying that, uh, man, this right here really, really can, um, we really can't take what we're talking about today to heart. Um, like the Church of Acts, man, we're not, we're not going to be a perfect church at this. All right? No no one is. Uh, yet, we're called to—sorry, y'all, camera died on me. So we had to get another one in here real quick. <laughs> we're still figuring things out. Not a perfect church again. Um, but hey, let's go ahead and pray. Let's go ahead and, and finish up our time in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the truth of the gospel that sets us free. Uh, that actually uses justice, that, that is marked by justice, as you maintain your role as the, the just and justifier through how you took the cross for our sins. You are a just God. Even your grace is marked by justice. And so, God, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for that truth. I thank you that the reality of our world, though broken, uh, is that we are called to partner with you in seeing redemption take place in the world, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, Father, thank you. We love you. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Continue to work in our hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.